that you're here today. Uh, because uh, we want everyone to feel welcome, we're going to invite you all to stand right now. Uh, show that joy that's here today in the house of the Lord. And uh, make sure that everybody that's here feels welcome. Give a fist bump, shake a hand, give a hug, high five, whatever. <coughs>
And now as we continue worshiping, we invite you to sing with us.
continue worshiping with Build My Life.
time, we want to invite all the kids through fifth grade, is that correct? Yes. Through fifth grade to head over to Miss Lori, and you guys will pray and head off to Sunday school. I got to do the dance around those who want to get the door. <laughs> I know. So how long do I get to say, what's up, little friends? Like, do you have to be taller than me for me to, yeah? Okay, who's going to be taller than me when you grow up? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, before we head out and uh, spend a little time learning more about Jesus and we learn more about Jesus in here, let me pray for us, okay? God, thank you so much uh, for your love for us. Thank you that we can build our life upon you, that you're a firm foundation. I pray for our little brothers and sisters here, our friends. God, as they go to learn more about you, that they would know that you are the one that they can build their life upon, that you are trustworthy and that you're good and that you hold them and will continue to hold them. So Lord, not only teach them of your goodness, teach us of that goodness as well. Father, continue to love them, support them, hold them up, and help us to do the same. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. And as they are heading out this morning, uh, we have a privilege of Darwin coming on up, uh, which is great, and Corey Plockmeyer coming forward. Corey, good to see you. At, like, every time you're here, I'm not. So, right. So, thank you for helping us at Watershed uh, throughout the last months and over at Celebration and Fusion. Um, but we have something special in. In I'm going to hand that over to Darwin. I'll, okay. I'll let you do your executive pastor okay. duties. Okay. Good morning. Corey Plockmeyer, who has had the privilege and has served us by preaching as a guest preacher here in um, Watershed, has assumed the position of executive director of Movement West Michigan. And Movement West Michigan um, is an organization that unites churches together and nonprofits together in, reach, in addressing issues and stuff in our community. Um, Corey is also an ordained minister. And in the Christian Reformed Church, an ordained minister has to be tied to a local congregation. In other words, we hold those papers, it's a technical phrase. And what that means is that um, as a church, we're responsible for overseeing his life and his doctrine. Um, and that he um, is accountable to us in those areas. We are responsible to him. We have to reach out to him, see how he's doing in those areas, and make sure everything is um, kosher. Um, on the other hand, Movement West Michigan is responsible for his job performance and all of that. But as an ordained minister, we, um, we need to install him into this position and recognize um, his calling there and recognize that he is coming under the authority of our council for his life and his doctrine. So I have um, four questions for Corey, and then I'll ask him to answer those in the affirmative, and then we'll have a brief prayer. At the time for prayer, I'll invite um, all the elders and deacons, whether you're active now or have been an elder or deacon in the past, um, either here or any other church, um, to come forward and to, to lay hands on Corey as we um, offer an installation prayer. So Corey, 
Do you believe that God has called you to minister as executive director of Movement West Michigan? Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal statements of this church, rejecting all teaching that contradicts them? And do you promise to be a faithful minister, to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your calling, and to submit to the government and discipline of this church? So say, I do, God helping me. Thank you very much. And now I'd like to invite any other deacons who are here um, to come forward now. And Corey, if you'll kneel. God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to this great and glorious office, enlighten, strengthen, and govern you by the word and spirit, that you may serve faithfully and fruitfully in your ministry executive director of Movement West Michigan, for the glory of God's name and the coming of the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Let's give Corey a warm welcome. All right, so we are in the season of Lent now, which started Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, and, and uh, it was a beautiful service uh, for Ash Wednesday the other day. Um, but it's a time of remembering. It's a time of remembering who we are um, and what sacrifice has been made for us. And we're going to be emphasizing uh, the enoughness of what God does for us, that we don't have to try to do other things on top of that. It's a gift of grace. So we're going to sing about that now. We invite you to stand with us as we sing Christ is Enough.
dive into prayer uh, this morning, I just want to make one announcement that uh, Wednesday after dinner, uh, Pastor Darwin's going to be leading a time of prayer uh, for Ukraine, Russia, what's going on over there. So if that's something that um, has just been on your heart, uh, I hope it's been on our hearts and our minds um, to be praying for those uh, brothers and sisters in faith who are on both sides, praying for uh, a resolution to this and uh, for lives to continue um, to be saved, not for lives continuing to be lost. Um, so if you want to be in prayer for that, uh, we don't have any other plans right now. As hard, We're going to talk some more about if there's some things we can do to support others. I do know with the CRC, if you go to the CRCNA, uh, Christian Reformed Church North America homepage, uh, there is an article there if there's some 
humanitarian stuff that you want to be able to give to, um, that is available. Um, so I do want to point you, if, if that's being laid on your heart as well, um, but to keep an eye out um, if there's some more things that we're going to talk some more this week. Uh, but I just want you to know that there's some opportunities to pray and also to direct you um, in some opportunities to give. And then uh, this coming Friday and Saturday, we'll be doing Feed My Starving Children and some of those meals, actually, that we're going to be putting together will most likely end up going uh, towards families in need, especially those uh, refugees from Ukraine. Um, so, again, things that you can be involved with here uh, may seem like little, uh, but we believe in a God who can do big things. So, if you will, let's uh, join together in prayer this morning. God, thank you that you are our foundation, you are our reward, Lord, and that happens because you have seen us as your reward, uh, that you have not only created us, but you've rescued us, and, and in Jesus, you've brought us back to yourself. Thank you for that gift, thank you for that life, Lord, thank you for that goodness. Again, this morning, God, as we even speak to the situation in Russia and Ukraine, Father, we pray again that you would move in the hearts and minds of Russian leaders. From President Putin to others, God, to put it in their hearts to stop. To stop this conflict. They're, they're the ones in charge. They are the ones who have the ability to put an end to this. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would move in their lives and in their minds to, to bring a halt to this. God, that there would be peaceful resolutions, that there would be communication and dialogue, God, there, there would be justice for those who have lost lives and loved ones. God, we continue to pray for those Ukrainian families that are, are fleeing for their lives, God. We know just under a million people that are flooding other European countries. Father, we pray that you continue to raise up the church and others around in those communities. Thank you for those countries that are taking people in and showing them love and compassion and grace. God, we've sung about that. Uh, not only do we build our life around your, on your love, but God, we want that to flow through us to others. God, we're over an ocean away on both sides of our country. With media, we, we, can, we can see the reality of it uh, first, a little more, not firsthand, but secondhand. God, and, and sometimes I know for me, I can look at these situations and, and just feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. What can I possibly do to help? Lord, um, sometimes I'm just immobilized by the gravity of the situation. And I know I'm not alone in those feelings, and there are other feelings as well. But God, one thing we can do is we can do the most, probably the most important thing, and that is pray. We can continue to talk to you because as we're going to talk about today, you are over and above all of these things. You are transcendent. You are the most powerful one in this entire world. You have the ability to do things that we can't do. And so, Lord, we pray that you work. And at the same time, we believe you're an imminent God. You're in, you're, you're amongst those in the middle of it all. And so, Lord, we can believe that you're going to do something and that you do invite us in, Lord. So continue to help us see how we can be involved. Father, we uh, also just think about what's going on around us here. And we think about families in our community that are, 
especially dealing with cancer right now. Think about Helene and Sean and Pete and Phil, Dan, Corey, Mariah, Jim, Wayne. Father, all these brothers and sisters are dealing with cancer who are dealing with that journey and then families that are dealing with that journey with them and walking with them and supporting them and friends who are trying to figure out how to care for them. Again, Lord, we can, we can pray for them. We can lift them up. We can pray that you bring healing. God, you're able. And so we ask that you act. And again, Father, help us know where we can be that hands and feet of you, where we can show love in real and practical ways. Lord, for others, we continue to think about Dick and Renee Visser. Lord, their, their daughter, she's continuing to deal with a pregnancy that's high risk. And, and Father, we pray just a child that's growing in, in, in her just continues to be strengthened, that you keep her strong as well. Lord, we know this time in, in any mother and child's life is a very tender, fragile time. So God, continue to breathe your life. God, we think about the Mummies, Lord, and, and Trina's brother, and we pray for just the healing and strength for him. We pray for continued strength for them as a family as they surround him and his healing. Father, work. Do mighty things. Lord, we also, again, think of being able to participate and feed my starving children this week. And, and thank you that we can, we can actually do something to help families that are in need. Sometimes it's yeah, praying is one thing, but to actually physically do something. And we pray that these efforts, again, though they may seem small, Lord, we don't see the other side of it. That, God, we can trust you with the fruit of those works. And that those good things will bring life, health, and hope. God, thank you again that we can pray to you. We can come to you. We can talk to you about what's in our hearts and our minds and God, we're only scratching the surface of things to pray for, people to, to lift up. But Lord, thank you that you know all our circumstances and situations. That you're not only above them and working around them, but you're working in them. So continue to be good and, and do your good work. Father, and now as we dive into your word, teach us, lead us, God, in your truth and in your life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. As Matt already talked about, in this season of Lent, uh, we are starting a new series. We're entitling it Enough. As we thought about the title of this, I, I, I thought about kind of multifacetedness of enough, right? How many of you ever said enough is enough, right? You're, you're frustrated, you're overwhelmed, enough is enough. I, I don't need any more. We're we're, we're starting today in Exodus. The people of Israel sa have said, enough is enough. How about enough already? Right? How many of you have been ever bored out of your mind? <laughs> said, enough already. Right? End this misery. <laughs> How about enough as in, I wonder if I'm enough. Have you ever thought that? I wonder if what I'm doing is enough. I wonder if anything I could possibly do could ever be enough. Right? This multifaceted nature of enoughness. 
And as we're going to wrestle with today and throughout this whole series, we're going to see that God is enough, but how many of us have ever wondered, God, are you enough? What will you do? What can you do? Because, Lord, enough. And how can you be enough? We're going to journey through this series through the book of Exodus. So that's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. In Exodus, uh, what, what we see, and I'm going to pull up a little graphic. I'm going to thank Pastor JB for this because he took the time to put it together this week. So props to JB. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, and if you don't like the graphic, good, blame him. Not me. (laughs) But uh, the journey of Exodus is one where the Israelites, when we leave the the end of the book of Genesis, have moved down to to Egypt. And part of this was God's working to provide for Abraham's family. So uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had it was now the patriarch of the family. Joseph had been enslaved in Egypt, and God had worked through him to save God's people. And so we leave the end of Genesis, and they're in a great place. Joseph is second in command. There's nothing that he's not leading in Egypt and in the whole of the world. Like, woohoo! But all of a sudden, we start an exodus, and generations had passed. And not only had generations passed, who Joseph was in their mind and in their history, had passed, right? Sometimes we forget our history. Well, not only that, the people of Israel had had moved from being a family of about 70 or so, maybe a little bit bigger than that, to being so numerous that Pharaoh started to get a little threatened. In fact, at the beginning of Exodus, he's like, man, these Hebrew women are just, they're resilient and they just keep having children. Like, and, and, and so what happens when you don't remember history and then there's more Israelites than there are like Egyptians being born and you're like, wait a second, this, the numbers aren't going to add up soon. You start to get a little threatened. Maybe Pharaoh feels like, am I enough? Am I going to be able to do enough? So what happens at the beginning of Exodus, he enslaves the people of Israel and puts them to work. Not only does he enslave the people of Israel, before we come to our passage today in Exodus 3, we find out that he's so threatened that he says that all of the baby boys from these Hebrew families need to be now thrown in the Nile River because we've got to stop this, right? Otherwise, an army could be created. And yet, in the midst of all of this, there was a sister, there's a Hebrew mother who has a child and, and a sister who takes this child We know this child today to be Moses. Puts him in a basket, kind of weaves a basket and sets him in the Nile. And she watches. It's near where Pharaoh's daughter is is hanging out by the river. No, it's not in a van down by the river. (laughs) Right? But she's watching. She places him in. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this child. And actually, in God's working, ends up having compassion on this child. And so Moses' sister runs up and says, uh, she's like, well, what, what should I do with this child? And she's like, well, do you want me to get a Hebrew mother to nurse this child? Well, and she's like, yeah, and I'm going to take this child into my home. She has compassion on Moses. And then in the, in the meantime, gets Moses' mother to nurse him. And the sister gets to hang around him. And Moses then is raised up in this family. Already, do you see like how crazy God can work in the midst of the crazy of life? 
Right? And in this Exodus journey, we're going to see there's not only a crisis, but today we're going to hear there's a call into that crisis. And what will happen through is, is there's going to be a confrontation, right? We, if you know this story, you already know where we're going, right? Ten plagues. How many of you ever heard of the ten plagues? Right? How many of you heard of Moses and the Red Sea, right? Parting of the Red Sea. Have you ever watched the movie The Ten Commandments, right? We know some of this story, but we're going to revisit it again to see what does it look like that, that we're enough to God? They're worth it. We're worth it to him to put his enoughness on display to rescue us. Well, today, like I said, we're going to start. We're going to start in Exodus 3. And this is Moses' call. So Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's house. At the time he was about 40, he saw that an Egyptian was beating on a fellow Israelite. And Moses took it into his hands to take out the Egyptian. Well, he was a little surprised. He figured nobody had seen anything. The next day, he sees two Israelites fighting with each other, and he tries to part them and stop them. And they said, so what, you're going to kill us too? Oh, uh-oh. Word got out. And then word makes it to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh now wants to kill Moses. So Moses flees to his father-in-law, who's a priest of Midian. And starts shepherding his flocks. And this is where our story picks up. Verse 1, chapter 3 of Exodus. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, a priest of Midian. Notice, not a priest of God, but a priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the, mount, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Right? He understood the holiness, the otherness of God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. In fact, God had promised this years ago to Abraham. This is a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, up out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. Not here's the promise two days from now, but after this all occurs, you're going to come back to this place and worship on this mountain. Now Moses said to God, 
Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Right? Because in a name is who you are. What's his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is God's word for us this morning. Thanks be to God. As we think about this impossible task, right? How many of you have ever been stuck with what seems like an impossible task? Right? You've been a, set, a challenge is going to stretch you, push you. It's going to pull you further than you've ever had to go. What do we need to embark on an impossible task? Right? Moses, we hear him wrestling today. What do you, say what? You want me to go to the land where, where last time I was there, they tried to kill me. Right? And, and trust me, they may not remember Joseph anymore, but I'm sure Pharaoh's family remembers me. I was that Hebrew kid that they took in who killed an Egyptian. Yeah, if I come back, I'm a dead man. Right? And you want me to now lead this mass exodus of, of slaves out of you? You want me to take Pharaoh's like economic industrial, like, you want me to take the foundation of his economy, and you want me to, are you kidding me? How am I supposed to do that? Well, I think God knows anytime he invites us into tasks, and especially impossible tasks, he knows exactly what we need. And I think it starts first with a burning bush. You think about this, like, how different would Moses' life if he had just went, well, that's interesting, and decided to continue shepherding the flock, right? <laughs> if he just said, well, that's kind of neat, and then just totally bypassed it. Now, I'm not saying God couldn't have gotten his attention in another way, but I wonder if he ever was like, man, I should have just went over there. There was water over there. I could have just gave the sheep something to drink, <laughs> but I had to go see the bush, Right? God knows when, when he was inviting him into an impossible task, he did an impossible thing. And this morning, I want to I focus on a couple characteristics of who God is that helps us and helps Moses step into the impossible. The first is that God is transcendent. So I'm going to use some theological terms, some God words this morning. I want to teach you what these words mean. Transcendent means over and above, not bound by the physical, by the natural, by time, space, or any kind of stuff. And when we look at the burning bush, we see what? God is acting. There's burning that's going on, and it's, it's not consuming a bush. So the normal things of life aren't happening the way that are normal, Right? And so it causes Moses to go, huh? What? Well, why do you think God's transcendence is important? Let's read the scripture again. Right in Exodus 3, verses 5 and 6. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Something that's holy is something that's separate, something that's special, something that's unique and sacred. Not only is this mountain of God a sacred space, but because God, anywhere God is present, that place and space is holy and special. Right? This, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
right? When he saw something so spectacular, and then he hears of this God who's been timeless, the God of his ancestors, he goes, whoa, I'm in a place and with someone who's absolutely powerful. And this is essential for the story of Exodus because he's about ready to face the most powerful man in the entirety of the world. Right? If I'm going to step into the impossible, I need to know that the one who's with me is bigger than the impossible. That's what God being transcendent means. That there actually is no impossible with God. Because possibilities and impossibilities are based on our limitations, are based on physicalities and circumstances, on time and space. But to the God who created the world, to the God who is above those things, who can enter those things, who can go, you know what, I can, I can be a fire in a bush, and I can make the bush not burn up and not consume it. And he goes, I might be inviting you into the impossible, but guess what? I'm more powerful than that. I wonder if we need to know that God this morning, if we need to know that truth. That a God who is transcendent, this God is actually for us and not against us. We know that because he's also imminent, right? We hear in this story that he's imminent, that he's, he's, in, he, he's not afraid to step into the natural, the physical, the time and space. So as much as God is transcendent and above all things, not bound by any physical things, not bound by us, there's no power strong enough to consume him, he also chooses to be in it. We hear this. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Okay, you can be transcendent and see things, but listen to what else. It says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He lets creation impact him. This transcendent God who can be above all things, over all things, actually allows his creation, the physical of life, those who he created, to actually affect him. The transcendent allows us to affect him. So I have what? Come down. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Right, in this impossible task, as much as God's reminding Moses that, listen, I am all powerful, I'm above all things, I'm transcendent, I'm over all things, I'm not bound by anything, he also says, but I'm in the middle of it too. I'm not afraid to get in the muck, in the mire. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty because I'm actually affected by you. I love, I love you so much that I'm going to allow you to impact who I am as the God of the world. That that's part of the character and quality of our God as we think about his enoughness today. God is transcendent. But God is also imminent, that he cares about our circumstances. Right, I think about the Ukraine this morning. That God isn't bound by armies. Isn't bound by political forces, and governments, 
He's bigger than that. I need to know, standing oceans away. And I think about the pain on all sides. War, nobody wins in war at the end of the day. Scripture teaches us that someday war will be no more. That God will break down our swords into plowshares. That there will be peace. I look forward to that day. But I need to trust that God is bigger than armies, bigger than personalities, bigger than agendas, bigger than governments and in, in, in lines and state lines. But I also got to believe that God gives a rip about what's going on in these people's lives, right? That he actually cares about Ukrainian families and Russian families. That he cares about what's going on and taking place. That he weeps over what is happening and what's, what's being torn apart. Seems like an impossible situation. But in order for there to be some kind of resolution, i got to believe that God is not only something more, but he's involved too. Right? It's not one or the other. It's both in. And ultimately, I've got to believe that God is enough. Right? Moses, again, gets that human response. We hear this in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Right? So often we, we look at our own enoughness. And then we tend to limit God by our own enoughness. Right? We see the impossible. We see the, 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 the mountain we don't feel like we can climb. We see what seems like a situation that just is beyond our comprehension and our ability. And so then we end up limiting God. Moses, actually, in chapter 4, we hear him say, but what, but Lord, pardon me, God. <laughs> and he continues to have this, he actually starts to push God's patience a little bit. <laughs> like, God is immensely patient. God, God's patience is, like, infinite. And yet, to push God's patience, can you, like, think about that one minute. How many of you have ever had your, your children or your friends or coworkers push your patience? Like, the God of the world? <laughs> But Moses says, who am I? But that's the real thing, isn't it? When we're invited into something that seems impossible, when we see something that seems unsurmountable, it's a real question. I'm not going to blame Moses for this question. Right? He had a lot of things that he was challenged by. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go lead this mass exodus? Are you crazy? They tried to kill me last time I was there. Are you crazy? And let's remember that there's no real focused religion at this time for the people of Israel. They haven't yet had the Ten Commandments. That's to come. Right? There's no sacrificial system. It's just stories that have been passed down through generations. His father-in-law is a Midianite priest. Okay? He doesn't have, like us, thousands of years of Christianity and history and mindset to understand, okay, this is kind of what it all means. The guy's in his 40s going on some stories with no real focused religion, right? I don't blame him one bit for saying, who am I to do this impossible task? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what's God's response? I will be with you. His imminence, right? What you need for this, yeah, you might not be enough. You may not feel like you're enough, but I am. I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you. So then God goes, I'm going to reassure you because we have a God who gives promises. 
And he says, you're going to come back to this mountain, right? When you've, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. Now, I don't know about you. That's a great promise. But that seems still like a far away, right? Like, wait a second. That means we've got to go through me going to Pharaoh. Then we've got to go through him letting everybody go. And then we've got to go through nobody trying to kill us in the process. And then we've got to get through all of the wilderness to get back to this spot. So that's the promise you're giving me? But for God, oftentimes it's a promise nonetheless. Because do we believe that he's transcendent? Do we believe that once the God who is transcendent, above, above all, over all, not bound by anything, no power is too great for him, that when he makes a promise, we're, are we going to actually trust it? Right? That's what faith is. That's our part of the journey always is just faith. Will we let God be who God is instead of be made in my image? or be bound by my circumstances, or be bound by my ideas. See, that's why God continues this conversation in verse 13. Moses has said to God, right, here's again, who am I? Suppose I, I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? And what shall I tell them? And here's God's response. This is the name of God. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Wow, that's helpful. <laughs> right? I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Right? I am the one who has always been. That's one of the meanings of I am who I am. I am the one who has always been. And by the way, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Right? I, I, I'm gonna, you're going to have to trust me to be both transcendent above all things, and you're going to have to trust me to be in this. And you're going to have to trust me being whoever I am, not who you think I should be or I am. And since I'm calling you, and I'm commissioning you, and, and, and I'm, I said I'm going to rescue them, here's the question, will you trust me? Because I am. Throughout the Bible, we see this flushed out, and we get to see later in Exodus that God says, I am compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. Later in John 8, we see Jesus say, before Abraham was, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am divine. In me, you have life. Right? The biggest thing for Moses, the biggest thing for us is, will we allow God to define for God's self who God is? Trusting that he's transcendent. There's no circumstance or situation on earth that can bind him, overwhelm him. There's no circumstance that if he's losing his sleep for us, it's because he loves us. Not because he's stressed out. How do you like that? God is not a God of anxiety. Oh, thank you. Because I am. Right, yesterday I got frustrated by vines with all the prickly thorns. I'm all scratched up. Enough is enough, right? I want to burn those. I'm, I'm annoyed by thorns. God's like, 
yeah, no big deal to me. God is, though, also incredibly imminent. Even though he stands transcendent, transcendent and powerful, he is also present. He could care about something so small as thorny vines. Is that a big deal? No, it's not. <laughs> but he can care about our anxieties, our stresses. It didn't say that the people of Israel, in fact, cried out to him. It just says that they were crying out. After 400 years in the land of Egypt, we expect them to have some big old historical, like I said about Moses, some understanding of faith and some deep, no, they had some stories to go on, but they were in a land that was worshiping God after God and deity after deity. And for them, it was like, well, this is sort of ours in the midst of all of it. Right? They haven't seen the Red Sea yet. They haven't seen blood put on the posts in, in a rescue because a lamb was slain and that blood made their deliverance possible. They haven't seen the ten plagues. They haven't seen God provide in the wilderness. They haven't seen any of this. And they're just crying out saying enough is enough. But the goodness of God doesn't even need us to direct our cries to him sometime for him to hear our cries. That in our, fr our frustrations, in our challenges, in our stresses and anxiety, he says, I'm going to show up. Because he cares. God is transcendent. God is imminent. God is enough. And I don't know about you, I do wrestle with what is my place? Am I enough? Can I do enough? But the good news for me today, and I hope the good news for you, is that we don't have to rely on our enoughness for God to be. God says, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. And with my power, I will be present. And trust me, I will deliver. That's good news. It's good news for us. It's good news for this world. Let's pray to God. Lord, thank you for your enoughness. Thank you that you show your complete sort of otherness, that transcendence, that there's not a power like Pharaoh, like a world's army, like God, the challenges we face that bind you you stand over and above the physical world that you created. In fact, you created it. And you're not bound by time or space. You're not bound even by death. Thank you that you are that kind of powerful. When we put our trust in you, we don't put our trust in something we've, can created, we've created or concocted. We've put our trust in the one who is above all. But it, the journey to get to that trust oftentimes is through knowing that you're among all. That you care enough to come off of the throne to do something. You care enough to make decrees. You care enough to send your angel armies to rescue. You care enough to step into the moments, to be present. You, you care enough to send your own son to save. Lord, that imminence, help us to, to know that today. 
And help us to trust you then to be enough. God, to be honest, Lent, Lent is a season where we can be honest about our limitation. God, and that's not a bad thing to understand our limits. Because in understanding our limits, we can begin to trust in and lean not on, on ourselves in ways that aren't possible for us, but we, we can lean further into who you are and we can watch what you're capable of. So Lord, continue to rescue us from the circumstances and situations just as you rescued your people from the things that bound them, from their enough already. God, you are enough. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. We invite you to stand with us as we sing about the great I am, the name God revealed himself to be. shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of the name king of majesty there is no power in Great I am. 
God's name is I am. I've been who I've been. I will be who I will be. I am who I am. His transcendence, his imminence are what we need in the journey. It's what the people of Israel, we're going to find out what they needed in that journey. That God wasn't going to leave him, but it, leave them. His presence would be with them and his power would rescue. That truth continues to go with us today. So live in that hope. Rest in that peace that comes from his transcendence and his imminence. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, Go in peace. If you don't mind helping us stack a few chairs and feel free to have some conversations as well.